step I take, my Savior goes before me. And with his loving hand, he leads the way. And with each breath, I whisper, I adore thee. Oh, what joy to walk with him each day. Each step I take, I know that he will guide me to higher ground he ever leads me on until the day the last step will be taken each step i take just leads me closer home i trust in god no matter come what may for life eternal is in his hand he holds the key that opens up the way that will lead me to the promised land each step i take i know that he will guide me to higher ground he ever leads me on until someday the last step will be taken each step i take just leads me closer home all right well we're going to go ahead and turn our Bibles, turn over, you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. We've been addressing and dealing with five questions to ask when faced with a decision. And so we've been talking about that quite a bit. But I just uh, felt bad the other day. I told you I was going to share a few things and got your hopes up. And so while driving to work today, I saw this huge cheesecake. Around the next corner was a large uh, truffle, followed by an apple turnover. I mean, there were no people or cars anywhere. It seemed to me the roads were strangely deserted. Okay, right? Uh, yeah, okay, so see, those, yeah, you're glad I didn't tell them the other day, right? All right. <laughs> I, uh, I have a pet tree. It's like having a pet dog, but the bark is much quieter. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot quieter. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it was a while ago. It wasn't that long ago, right? I went to the supermarket. I bought some self-rising flour. It's still sitting on the floor where I left it. I don't get it, but that's the way it goes. All right, we better quit there. All right, let's, let's look at, uh, we're thinking about five questions now we've been talking about. And we said we're faced with choices every day, aren't we? And, and there's, there's no doubt about that. There's decisions we have to, that have to be made on a regular basis. And when it comes to decision making, you know, we can make our choices based on biblical principle. We can base them on God's promises. And we can function and operate in 
the realm of you know godly wisdom if we choose. And uh, just like I said, over the last weeks, we've been noting some of those questions we need to ask in order to ensure that we go the right direction, we make the right kind of decisions. So we said, we need to ask the question, does it violate clear teachings of the Bible? Before we make our decision, uh, is this decision we're going to make going to uh, clearly uh, uh, you know, uh, support Bible truth or truth that's going to support our decision, or is it going to violate clear teachings of the Bible? We said, number two, does it violate my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit? We said, number three, does it cause another Christian to, or excuse me, does it, yeah, does it cause another Christian to stumble? And then last week we talked about, does it go against the expressed will of my spiritual authority? Now, today we're going to end all this and it's going to, we're going to be done, but we're going to talk about one last question. And this is the question, does it glorify God? When we think about making a decision, is the decision we're going to make going to glorify God or not? And that's important. And over in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 31, we read a really, really, I mean, just a powerful verse, simple verse, nothing complicated about it. But it simply says, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I don't know if it's easy to do sometimes, but it's sure simple as we read it. Again, whether, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so, tonight we're going to consider that question. When it comes to facing a decision, we need to say, does it glorify God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Oh, God, we're so grateful for the privilege to be a part of your family. Lord, just to be here tonight. But, Lord, we're asking you to walk these aisles and to speak to our hearts. Encourage us from your wonderful word. We're asking that you would show up in a mighty way in our lives. I know, Lord, that to meet with a mere man tonight would be a waste of time. We need to meet with you, the master. Lord, the truth is that I have nothing to give this thy people except you give it me first. I'm asking you to anoint me with your Holy Ghost. Allow me to be your mouthpiece, stand in my shoes, and, Lord, give me the very words you'd have said tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd be with every listening ear, and may they hear with spiritual ears. Oh, God, we need you tonight. We live in a needy world, and we are a needy people. We know that you are the need meter. Thank you for loving us and caring about us. Help us to cast every care on you. And then, Lord, enable us to live our lives in a way that truly honors you and glorifies you. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so whether, therefore, ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do our decisions bring glory to God? And um, I read about Michelangelo. He had a sculpture of Moses that was created in the early 1500s. It, like all of Michelangelo's works, of course, they're considered masterpieces. And unique to this particular masterpiece is the depiction of a very small muscle in the forearm that contracts when you lift the pinky finger. And this particular muscle is usually visible unless or should I say, unless or until it's contracted to raise this, uh, this small finger. And, and, and indeed, Moses' sculpture, in the form that he created, it is indeed doing that 
And so attention to detail makes the work of art appear perfect in its representation of the human form. He includes that, that small, minute little detail. Art historians and critics the world over, they marvel at this master's knowledge and understanding of the human anatomy. They give praise and adoration to his skill and his artistry and the perfection of his craft. But Michelangelo, his sculptures or work of his hands seems to bring about an element of, I guess you would call, glory to him, right? No doubt about it. We look at him and think, wow, what an amazing sculptor. What an amazing artist. Michelangelo's crafted pieces are from stone. But the Lord, he crafts masterpieces of flesh and bone, of heart and soul. See, we are his workmanship, the Bible says, his masterpieces. And because we are, we are created to praise him and to bring glory to him. Even as Michelangelo's uh, masterpieces, so to speak, bring renown and glory to him in a sense, we are to bring glory to God. Because we are his masterpieces. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, we already read it, but it says, Where, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Again, we're to bring him glory in everything we do. And you know, that includes our decision making. And it's so easy at times to think, well, this isn't a major decision. This isn't a big deal. But the fact is, is that we must be careful to ensure that every decision we make brings honor and glory to God. I was talking to my wife, and boy, today was kind of an interesting day for me. And I found myself in a spot where I'm ready just to, as I told her, to hang some people up by their fingernails. I'm like, Wow. And then I, I went out to a restaurant and things didn't go quite the way I thought. You know, I'm trying to find a seat and the people weren't being as accommodating. And I'm like, I, I, I tell you, I'll sit right here. Is this okay? No. And I'm like, what? No. I can't sit here? No. I go, said, well, you want to sit? I said, a booth? I said, yeah, that'll be fine, a booth. They walk me over and they sit me down in the booth. I sit down. Then somebody else comes over and says, you can't sit here. And they point to a little sign on the booth that says, five or more at this booth. And I'm like, I just was sat here by another person. You can't sit here. And they point like that to the sign. And so I get up and I walk over. And they're like, you know, you can sit over here at this one. And I said, this one's the same exact size as that one. <laughs> the same size. Literally the same size. What's the difference? And it was in the same area. So I'm like ready to go off, right? I'm being trying to, and I'm thinking, and so then I'm thinking, what am I preaching today? Hmm. Wow. Every decision, you got to make sure it glorifies God. And I thought, boy, I come real close to not glorifying the Lord. You know, you say, yeah, well, they weren't being very, very commonsensical, but I know maybe not. But wait a second, I had a choice to make in the midst of all that. How am I going to respond to it? And the truth was, I was tempted to respond the wrong way. I thank God I didn't, but the truth is I could have easily done that. And we could have left a bad taste in their mouth toward Jesus Christ and toward the Word of God. 
oh, every decision, how important is it that in every decision we consider the thought, will it glorify God? Oh. When we glorify God, we literally fulfill and our, our ultimate purpose for existing. And you know, our ultimate purpose for existing, according to Revelation 4.11, turn there, would you? Because it's really a powerful passage. What a wonderful truth we learn in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. It's to please him. It's to please him. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. What a, I mean, just a atomic bomb of truth in the word of God. Look what it says. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Look at that. Now I'm telling you this is big time. Someone says, I don't understand what my purpose is for existing. I don't know why I was. Is, is, is this mic not working? Did I not turn it on or something? I didn't turn it on, did I? My bad. Sorry. Man, I'm walking over there. Nobody can even hear me. I think I'm going to go off. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, so, so is that bad? Okay, finally. Woo, man, I couldn't understand why you weren't laughing at my jokes. <laughs> I just couldn't figure that out. <laughs> so Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things for Thy pleasure. Thou art and were created. Man, that is so important, so powerful. Why do we exist? Why did God uh, create me? And people today are searching like the world over to try to find purpose for their existence and why they live and why they've been created and why they're on this, this terrestrial globe as we sang about. Wow. Well, here it is. To bring pleasure to God. To please the Master. How do we do that? Well, we do that obviously by bringing glory and honor to Him. Absolutely. And there's a number of other specifics we could get into, but because of time we won't. But too often if we get distracted and we lose sight of him, and boy, that becomes a problem. And as a result of that, we, we, we kind of stray from our purpose for existing. We get wrapped up and consumed in so many things. That's dangerous. And we learn from the Apostle Paul that no matter how good a Christian you may be, Getting distracted from our God-given purpose is something that we all have to be careful of. See, Paul had been apprehended, as we've been reading about and studying over in the book of Philippians. And he said, listen, I've been apprehended by God, and I'm going to do my best to apprehend that for which I was apprehended. I want to accomplish the goal, the purpose, the reason for God saving my soul, but also the reason for Him creating me in the first place. And boy, you won't do that, nor will I, if we get sidetracked or if we get kind of consumed with this world and this life, if we take our eyes off the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I what? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1, verse 5. Everything we do really is a choice or a decision, isn't it? 
Now, I know there's some big decisions that we have to make in life. We're going to buy that car or this car or buy a house or that or not, or we're going to rent or buy a house, I should say, or possibly what school we're going to attend. And Oh, and there's all kinds of choices we make that can be really large, really big, and impact our life really dramatically, I guess. But the truth is, is we have decisions we make every day that impact other people and, and, and make a difference in our life, our family, and those around us. Will our decision glorify God? Will it exalt the master? That's important. Notice in James chapter 1, verse 5. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, it shall be given him. I don't know about you, but I find myself asking for godly wisdom a lot. I need his wisdom. You know, I, 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 was, uh, I think it's important to recognize and realize it doesn't matter how far down the road we get in life, you know, no matter how much experience we have in certain areas, we really are never equipped to handle things the way God intended without God. You know, it's like, well, you know, I know how to tie my shoes so good, I don't need God to help me until he puts a kink in my back. And then I can't, God, you're going to have to help me bend over. You know, something that simple, but we take for granted sometimes things, don't we? We, we do it on our own, in our own strength. Well, I've been doing this pastoring thing for almost 30 years. Let me tell you something. I, I think I know a little bit about pastoring. Till I don't. And the truth is, it doesn't matter how much I think I know and how much I think I understand, the moment I try to do it without him, I'm doing it in my own flesh, my own strength, and I'm doing it alone. And it's not glorifying God in the long run. It's not producing the kind of eternal uh, results that God would intend it to. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Were you asking in faith just a few moments ago? Was I asking in faith a few moments ago? For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Well, I'll tell you what, we get distracted from our, our God-given purpose. We get distracted from focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. We lose sight of what our purpose is to bring glory to the Lord Jesus and to honor Him and to please Him with our life and our lips. And boy, I'll tell you what, when we do that, we too become double-minded. We too fail to operate in faith. And if it's not a faith, it's sin, the Bible says. See, a double-mindedness Double-mindedness will limit God's hand of blessing in our lives. We need to be focused. We need to be steadfast. We need to be directed toward heaven and toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, not that we're, as they used to say, so heavenly-minded that we're of no earthly good. That's not what I'm talking about. Christianity is the most practical faith there is in the world. I mean, common sense rules the Word of God in a sense, or is flowing from the Word of God, I should say, consistently. You know, if you don't have no common sense, it's because you're not exercising biblical truth. Biblical truths are all make sense. God doesn't ask us to do anything without purpose. A lot of emphasis is put on multitasking today, right? You've got to be a multitasker. 
You know, I did some research on that. You know what I found? From the research, nobody multitasks. Nobody does. They say that you can't think about one thing, but only one thing at a time. They say it's literally impossible for you to think about more than one thing at a time. I didn't say that you couldn't switch real fast, right? Some of you, you know, you switched a bunch already during the message, okay? I get it, <laughs> right? But the truth is, is that, is that we can't truly, I guess, technically multitask because we're only really doing one thing at a time. Now, again, I, I get it. I'm really not against multitasking. Man, I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but I sit at my desk and, and at my computer at work and I'm over here, I start this and then I start this and before you know it, I'm doing three things at one time and I'm like, oh man, I got, oh, that's right, I forgot, I got to get that done. Then I, I sometimes am all over the place. And sometimes it's working real good and other times it ain't. But you know... We need to be very cautious that we don't get sidetracked from our calling or our purpose. We must identify what God wants us to do and then do it. And sometimes, again, we get a little distracted in order to, and, and, and we get too distracted to please Him and to glorify Him. And, uh, you know, then there's times, really, let's be honest, we're not even really distracted. You know what happens sometimes? We just get plain satisfied. We're just satisfied. It's good enough, right? Well, let me, um, it just, it seems too often that, that we're too easily pleased. At least in this area of our walk and relationship with the Lord, you know? Even though God offers us unconditional love, too many times we satisfy ourselves with something far less than God. C.S. Lewis, he wrote this. He said, if we consider the un." blushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and immorality and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. I don't know about you, I made a lot of mud pies in my day. Do you know they never tasted any better? Didn't matter what I added to them, what I took away. They always tasted the same. Yuck. And can I tell you, too many times we as Christians are settling for a yucky relationship. It's just, it's, it's nothing close to what God intended or what he desires for us. We settle so often Satisfaction or complacency is the enemy of progress. And we cannot be actively seeking to obey. I mean, we, we, hold on. We may not be actively seeking to, to disobey God or actively seeking to rebel against Him. But we're not purposely seeking to honor and glorify Him either. You know, it's, it's like either we're doing this on purpose or we're really not attaining to the level that God would have us. And we're missing out on the many blessings God has. And, and we want to glorify God where we ought to. That ought to be a desire that is in our heart to bring glory and 
to exalt Him and to praise Him and to lift Him up in the eyes of the world. Where, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, hey, do all to the glory of God. So whether we're speaking or something as simple as eating and drinking as the passage teaches, we must consciously glorify God in the process. I mean, think about it. Whether therefore you eat or drink, he says, do all to the glory of God, right? That's simple. You say, what? think about it though. How many times do you think about glorifying God when you're eating? I mean, okay, I go grab a glass of water at night, wake up, I come and get a glass of water. Oh, I hope I glorify God in this. I don't, do you think about it? I find myself not thinking. My, the point being is, is that this is something we must consciously consider. It's something that has to be at the forefront of our mind. It's not something, it's not an afterthought. It's something that we have to personally seek to do. I'm going to ensure that no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm eating or drinking or whatsoever I'm doing, it doesn't matter. I am going to make a point to glorify God. And that's what we have to do when it comes to decision making too. I mean, make a conscious decision. How's this going to affect the view, people's view of God? How's this going to affect his reputation in the eyes of the world? If I go here, or if I do this, or if I say that, or if I do, what, how's that going to look for him? Not how's it going to affect me and mine, maybe, as much, as how's it going to affect him? That's what God is trying to get us to understand. That's, that's part of why we were created, to bring that kind of glory and to exalt him in that way, in everything. Because we have nothing without him. We are nothing without him. And he's saying, just give me what's mine rightfully mine, all the glory. See, we are, you know, my dad, he, my dad taught us to be proud of our name and our heritage. He taught us that, you know, he's just kind of like, you know, uh, don't, he'd say things like, you're an O'Donnell, and don't ever do anything that would tarnish or taint the O'Donnell name. I think that's good advice. I think, I think it's important that we take pride in our, our, our name and who we are. And, and in our family, we should want to bring honor to the name of our family in that sense. But hold on. We are children of the king. We have an obligation and a responsibility to represent him and his kingdom well. We must be determined to uphold the name of Christian in our daily walk and in our daily lives. When people think of Christian or Christ-like they need to think about us. They need to recognize that now that is someone that truly reflects positively on that Jesus guy. That girl's different. That guy's different. There's something unusual about them compared to everybody else. Hey, we are responsible to do so. Matter of fact, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word conversation expresses the thought of citizenship. It refers to the seat of government in the country of which we're citizens and in which we have certain privileges and responsibilities. See, the child of God is a citizen of heaven opposed to a citizen of earth. Now, you might be a citizen of the United States, but can I tell you as a Christian, I, I honestly... I find my identity much more as a citizen of heaven than a citizen of the United States, to be frank with you. 
Listen, in the long run, my true master and king is Jesus Christ, not the president of the United States. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. And, and I think biblically, as believers, we are obligated and responsible to obey our king above all others even. But he doesn't ask us to do anything that's crazy until the world has gone crazy and sees it that way. If the world thinks what we do is crazy, it's because they have dismissed God and his word long enough that they cannot see that what we're doing is normal. Now, citizenship was valued in the Roman world. Let's face it, we note how Paul enjoyed the rare privilege of being a Roman citizen. And remember, in certain times in the Bible, he, he invoked that citizenship. And he said, wait a second, you do know before you put hands on me, before you flog me, before you do what you're going to do, I am a citizen, a free citizen of Rome. Boy, they, they put a lot of stock in citizenship. And so as Paul's writing about citizenship, He's, he's helping people understand how valuable this citizenship that we have in heaven is. See, Paul was more proud of being a citizen of glory than he was to be even a citizen of Rome. And again, we Christians belong to the, uh, 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 the aristocracy of heaven. That's where Christ reigns, at the right hand of God. And again, we have a responsibility in this present world to never disgrace our king or our homeland. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, go ahead and turn there, please. We're almost done. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Why should I be so cautious in my decision-making? Why should I be so concerned about whether it glorifies God? Because really, if you're a child of God today, you are a citizen of heaven, and you represent your master. You represent your king. And it matters how people see him because their soul and their eternal destination depends on how they view him. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As, the, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ, that little phrase says. In Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our, our, our attitude, our outlook, our actions all reflect on him, whether it be positive or negative. It reflects on our king. And as we become more aware of the place, of our place in God's family, our choices will become much more clear. When pleasing and glorifying God becomes the, uh, our highest aim in life, we're going to find that our decision-making becomes far less complicated. So before making that next decision, ask yourself, will the outcome of my decision bring glory to God? I mean, will it reflect positively on the Lord Jesus Christ or will it reflect poorly upon him? If there is even a sliver of doubt, be still and know that he's God. And as the Bible says in Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. You say, I don't know if this decision will bring glory to God. Don't make it then, just wait. Pray and wait. 
there are two kinds of magnifying that takes place. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me explain. You have the microscope. A microscope, it magnifies, but also a telescope magnifies, right? Now, here's the difference. The one makes a small thing look bigger than it is. The other makes a big thing begin to look as big as it really is. Think about it. You take that microscope and something tiny, 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 it makes it bigger than it really is. Telescope looks at something that is extremely massive but very far away, and it magnifies so that we can begin to see how large it really is. See, when David says in Psalm 69, 30, he says, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. He doesn't mean I will make a small God look bigger than he is. He's saying I will make a big God begin to look as big as he really is. See, we're not called to be, to be microscopes as Christians. We're called to be telescopes. We're to make God look as big as he really is. And can I tell you, we serve a big God today. And the fact is, is that he wants us to glorify him. He is worthy of that praise. He's worthy of that exalted place in our life. Now, some decisions are big and others are small. But let's be honest, they're all important to a Christian. And every one of them needs to bring glory to him. Let's make sure that we're sensitive to the purpose and plan of God in our lives. And let's ask the right questions before we make decisions so that we always end up glorifying him. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together and the word. It's just simple truth, but Lord, we desperately need you and we thank you for the privilege that we have to be a part of your family. But Lord, I do pray that if there be any even that are here that don't know for sure heaven's their home, have never settled their soul salvation, that Lord, tonight even, they would get that settled. We know you died for us on the cross, Lord Jesus. We know that you was buried and rose again. And you did all that to pay for our sin. Oh, we understand also that we can't get to heaven based on the fact that you died for the world. We have to invite you to save us and accept your finished work as payment for us personally. This salvation we have is a personal salvation. Oh God, I pray that if anyone has yet to call on your name to acknowledge their sin before you and to accept you as their Lord and Savior, they'd settle it even tonight. They'd ask you to be their Savior and know heaven's their home and that you are their Lord and King. Father, for the believer tonight, help us, Lord, to be very careful when we think about the way we act and live and talk, the decisions we make daily, may they all bring glory to you. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every